0: You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening, let's check it out. We know I I read to you from um, Malachi chapter one, where God said, you despise me when you don't bring me what what I've asked of you, and you don't bring me your best in your first. And he said, offer that to your government and see what they say to you. You know, I'm not gonna give you my taxes. Tell them that and see what they do. He said, but if I'm a father, where's my honor? If I'm a master, where's my respect? You know, he, he said, listen, if I'm God and money's not your God, giving to honoring God with your finances shouldn't even be an issue. I mean, it should be a non-issue. But what I wanna point out today, and we're gonna move into the idolatry of religion um, here next is Malachi chapter three, verse seven and 12, where he does talk about tithing and giving and some of the blessings that go along with that. And then in, in the new Testament, he goes even further. He says, yet from the days of your fathers, you've gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them Return to me and I will return to you says the Lord of hosts. But you say, "In what way shall we return? Next verse, verse eight. Uh, Will a man rob God? Yeah, you have robbed me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. In tithes and offerings. So God considers it stealing when we don't honor him with our tithe and our offering. He considers it stealing. He said, you've gone away from me. You go, what happens is, what has happened is, they, they started worshiping money instead of worshiping God. They were starting to find meaning in their, in, in security in their money, instead of finding security and meaning in their relationship with God. And then the last verse says this, verse nine, he says, and all the nations, okay, if you, if you start tithing and give me your offerings, he said, well, the, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation, next verse. I think it's the next one. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this. This is the only promise of God that God says to try him or test him. He said, test me. Test me on on honoring me with your tithes and offerings. Put me to the test. He never says that about anything else else in the entire Bible except money. He said, put me to the test now in this, said the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Man, I tell you, the people that have steadily honored God with their finances and steward their money. And because when you begin to honor God with your finances, he's going to begin to speak to you about Stewardship. And he's going to give you the self-discipline that comes along with good stewardship. And not only are you going to be a giver, but you're going to be a good steward of your finances. You're going to be self-disciplined in how you manage your money. It, it doesn't mean that you're going to be tight with your money. You're just going to be wise with your money. And so you're going to use wisdom with your finances because when you begin to honor God, he'll start dealing with you about that because he wants to get a blessing to you and it's through our tithes and our offerings and our stewardship of finances that God begins to increase. I've seen it time and time again, how he'll begin to increase people and I've, I've just seen him move. It's not some get rich quick scheme. This is, this is how God operates and, and when we talk about the idol of religion, this is so profound when it comes to this God God blesses out of relationship see I know a lot of people have heard about tithing and offerings and giving and then you know you sow that and God will give back to you and so they think it's like like a business transaction but God said listen this has got to be from the heart this has got to be out of honor and respect it's got to be out of birth, out of relationship, not just a business transaction. That's called religion. That's called religion. This is about relationship. I love my father. So, man, I'm going to pay him the honor and respect that he's due. And I love the work that he does in the church. That's the storehouse. So I bring my tithes and my offerings to the church because I love the work he does in the church and I I love my father. It's out of relationship, respect, and honor, not out of some religious ritual that I give my tithes and offerings. It's not a business transaction. It's a relationship of honor and respect. That's what God desires. Then he says, that's the Old Testament. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, in the New Testament, he says this, Oh, my goodness. He says so much about generous people. Uh, In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, he says, Give generously, and generous gifts will be given back to you, shaken down to make room for more. Abundant gifts will pour out upon you with such an overflowing measure that it will run over the top. Your measurement of generosity becomes the measurement of your return. He basically talks about his, his, his principle of sowing and reaping. He said, man, if you're, you're giving out of a generous heart, it always comes down to this, this motive here. If you're giving out of a generous heart and you look for opportunities to bless... The Bible says that the one who looks for opportunities to be generous to people will himself be refreshed. Otherwise, man, you'll be constantly sown into as well. Man, you can't go wrong blessing people. Some people say, well, maybe God doesn't want me to bless them. Well, if you're in doubt, bless them. I don't think you can go wrong. I'd stand before God and say, God, I missed it. I gave them too much. I blessed them. I'd rather do that than miss not giving Amen. When, you know, and blessing people. He wants us to not just be tithe, give tithes and offerings. He wants us to be a generous, we should be a generous people. We're known, I hope in this community, even by people who don't like us, we're known as a generous church. Well, that's because we have a generous people. But I, he wants all of us to get in on it. And he wants it to come from a genuine heart. Genuine heart to give and not to take. Uh, Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Man, I love blowing people's minds with giving. I love love rocking people. Man, Julie and I, we got to bless uh, some of our family members recently, several of them, generously. And man, I I tell you, Her mom and my mom are such, hi, Nancy, if you're watching, uh, my mom's here. Um, I love you, mom. Uh, But they're so generous to us. They give their time. They give their, I mean, they've blessed us so much. My gosh, my mom. My mom makes me uh, trade off with her buying lunch. We try to eat lunch every Thursday together, and she makes me trade off. She won't let me buy lunch every time. She'll say, no, we're going to trade off. I mean, She just, she just generous, man. My mom, Nancy and my mom are just generous. And we got to bless them recently with a pretty good amount. And it it blessed me to see how blessed they were and how God has blessed us to bless them. (laughs) Guys, listen. And they didn't necessarily need it. It doesn't matter. We still gave it. It still blessed them. My children know we're generous people. We're a generous people. My, my, my God, some of my sons are really generous. They're extremely generous with my money. <laughs> They're very generous. They're like, yeah, man, I paid for everybody's lunch. They were so, they were so thankful. I'm like, you have a job? I just have my, a debit card with my money in the ca- account. But, but I'm okay. You know what? I joke about it, but I'm okay. I want my children, I, my children have learned. We're generous people. We don't have out, You know, I like those commercials where they show those alligators at the table and they put the check down and the, well, that one person has alligator arms. Oh, I'll get the check. Oh, I can't quite reach it. And someone else finally grabs it like, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I, I was going to buy. I was going to buy this time, you know, but they can't get it that they get that alligator arm. God said, you treat me like I'm short armed. You treat me like I have a short arm. That's where they get that from. Like I have a short arm. He said, Don't you know my arms are long? Otherwise, he said, Don't you know I'm extremely generous? I'm not short armed. How could you possibly support my cause and me not bless you? But people, people treat God like He's short armed, that's why they're not generous. The Bible says when you give to the truly poor, we have a a very liberal mindset about what poor is in America. I'm going to give you a biblical mindset of poor. Biblical mindset of poor is they cannot physically work. I mean, they cannot work at all. Physically. Not not just, man, I I just can't mentally get myself to get up in the morning, go to work. No, not some of that stuff. No, not that. I'm talking about the poor in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. They can't physically work. They can't possibly make it on their own. Those are the ones we're supposed to help. The poor aren't all these healthy men, mostly men, out on the street with a sign, I'm like, golly, dude! You're so dedicated to sit there. You could sit at a, a, ca- a counter and be a cashier. You sit out in 105 degree heat. Get a job. I, I don't. I don't. Gi- I only give to those those things if God moves on me to do it. And if I do give, I don't give. I give food, or just like a lot of you, I give food or drink of water or something like that. But I'm not. I'm not gonna. I, those aren't poor. Most of the people, guys, listen, I've dealt with homeless people for over 35 years. I mean, I'm talking about, I've dealt with them. I've been with them on the street. I've talked to them on the street. I've sat in their tents and their makeshift hovels. I mean, guys, I have ministered to the homeless for 35 straight years, and I have yet to meet one of them that did not want to be out there. that they didn't make a choice to be on the street. I've tried to house them. They're like, no, uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. I'm telling you, we need to realize from a biblical perspective what poor is. Poor is unable. Poor is incapable. We need to help the poor. And God said this, if you'll help the poor, the the biblical poor, he said, I will repay you. He said, it's a loan to me when you help someone that's truly poor, truly suffering. I, I help people all the time. The church does, and, and Julie and I do. We help people that are really trying. The single mom that's trying to make it, she's working a job, trying to make it. I love sewing into people, you know, that they, they need tires, or I love sewing into that stuff. And, and don't come around me with the ministry of hints. So you like sewing into that? Well. I can show you some new tires, Pastor Troy. No, I don't do that. Pray. Trust God. He'll send someone your way. But, but guys, you know, we, we should be, as Christians, we should be running to the genuinely poor, and we should be generous to them as much as we possibly can. In a, in a generous mindset, we are looking for opportunities to give, not looking for opportunities to say No. We should be looking I went from stingy gut wouldn't give you a, I wouldn't give you a penny to Julie has to tell me no no come here because she knows me I, I'll start giving away my mom's and the staff are like no you can't talk to pastor you can't ask pastor uh, and and not, they're all generous too. They're all very generous too. Sometimes I, I don't use some wisdom I, I, because God's so changed my life that, that I see the, the gift and the genuineness and the love that comes from being generous. Amen. The blessing. Right. And God wants us to be extremely generous. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and 8 just so you have at least three witnesses of God's generosity, how long his arm is, he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, Hear my point. A stingy sower will reap a meager harvest, but the one who sows from a generous spirit, see it comes to the heart, will reap an abundant harvest. Let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. Guys, I don't give my tithes and offerings to the church out of religious duty. I do it because God's been so good to me and so generous to me. How can I not be How can I not support the ministry? How can I not do it? I got saved at church. I learned, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit at church. I got water baptized at a church men's conference. I got, I I mean, all the things I learned about being a husband, a father, about generosity, about stewardship, about, you know, controlling my temper and my attitude and changing my thinking. I learned at church. How can I not support it? I'm a family member, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. and I'm not a teenage family member that sleeps still too and then complains that there's not enough food in the house. I'm an adult family member, getting up, making something happen, bringing something in, adding something to the family. Someone say Amen. He said, Let your giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. Let it spring up freely from the joy of giving. All because God loves hilarious generosity. He likes you to be joyful when you give. You know, I've given to people and then they burn me or burned the church or burned other people. And man, sometimes I'll say, Man, God, I, and God will check me and say, Don't you ever regret giving. Don't ever regret. He said, even though they didn't use it for the right reasons, I'll bless you if you just don't live in any regret. Just keep a joy about it. Don't let them taint you and make you cynical where you're like, yeah, I'm never going to help anybody again. Don't make vows like that. You make a vow like that, man, your heart and mind will hold you to that vow, and you'll end up being stingy. Well, that church, they burned me. That pastor, he burned me. I'll never give again to a church. Man, you start making vows like that, you're you're not just dishonoring God. You're dishonoring your own life. Don't make vows because you got burned. Everybody gets burned. It's okay. You just forgive and move on and keep on sowing, keep on being generous, keep on honoring God. Don't ever let money make your decisions and be your God. Don't ever let it be the sense of security and meaning to your life. It should never do that. I know people that make a lot of money and all of a sudden they think it makes them somebody. That's what I mean by meaning. And I know people who have little that they get their meaning from money too and they think they're less. Listen, if you're getting your meaning from money that says you're less important or you think you're more important, then money's your God. You get your value. We all get our value from our creator. He's the one that tells us our value. And he loves loves the poor, the rich, and the middle class. He loves us. He loves us. And that's where we get our value and our meaning and our security in life. I don't get my security from Julie. Julie. I get my security from God. My security in my relationship with my wife comes from God. I don't get my security from being a pastor. I get my security from being a man of God and having a personal relationship with God. You can't get your meaning from your title, your job, your money. That's not where we get meaning from. And that's, we don't, we can't, we don't need to see ourselves devalued. The world values people based on how much money they have or don't have. We should never value people on, that, on those terms. That is ungodly and unscriptural. The Bible warns against treating the rich better than you treat the poor. Just because of money reasons. We should never do that. Someone say amen. Hey, everybody's tempted at one time or another. You get around someone wealthy. I mean, you can be real tempted to try to You know, because the Bible says a rich man has many friends. That's what Proverbs says. But a poor man, not even his friends want to know him. you know, because he's always in need. But but man, we shouldn't be basing friendships on on how much money someone has. We've had people come to the church and try to buy influence. I've had several of them. Some of the biggest givers in the church have looked at me. They're not here anymore and said, I'm the biggest giver in the church. And I said, I don't care. You're still not getting your way. Because money, I can't be bought. The church can't be bought. God can't be bought. You're not going to have influence here because you have money. You want to have influence here? Honor God and you'll have influence. Serve God and you'll have influence. Love God and love people and you'll have influence. But you don't do those things. I don't care how much money you have. That's why a lot of the the very, very wealthy in our community either don't go to church or they go to churches they can buy influence. God bless their hearts. I want everybody to know you can't buy influence at church on the move. You will not buy influence here. Because our God is our God and not money. We We love people regardless of their financial status. You know, the Bible says, or or I'm going to read you several quotes about, about idolatry. We make a God out of whatever we find the most joy in. You can write that down. Whatever you find the most joy in is where your God is. What do you find the most joy in? You find the most joy in serving God? I think the two most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life is when my whole family's serving God and working together. And when the church is serving God and working together, I think I get my greatest joy from those two moments. When I see unity and peace, you know, we're all honoring God together, man, they're they're the most beautiful things I've ever seen. God moving in the midst of us. Where do you get your joy from? Come on, think about it. Man, we should get our joy from serving and knowing the almighty God who loves us. Who died to save our lives? That should be the greatest joy of our life. If it's not, it's okay. You can start today and say, "You know what, God? I'm going to start finding my security, my meaning, and my joy in you, Father. Will you please teach me how to do that?" He loves those kind of sincere prayers. I pray them all the time. God, teach me to love the way you love. Teach me to teach me to care the way you care. Teach me to hate what you hate and love what you love. Teach me, to, teach me to see opportunities to minister to people. Teach me, let me have your eyes. Let me have your ears to listen. You know, teach me how to do this. And I'm constantly asking him to teach me stuff. And, when you, and he'll honor those sincere, simple prayers. He'll honor those. You know, God calls us to worship him and him alone. He said his first commandment is, there shall be no other God. Besides the most high God. You know, in our nation, we've moved away. Our, our founding fathers, they established that only the God of the Bible, not, not, not the Muslim God, not the Hindu gods, not, not, not any of those other gods. It's the God of the Bible. They established our nation and they knew that based on our worship of God and not worshiping these false gods and these other idols of these other religions and stuff, they knew that our blessings and our freedom and our peace was going to be based on the degree in which the people in America worshiped God and God alone. They knew it. They knew it from the beginning. All of them knew it. All of them said it. All of them said it. Even Thomas Jefferson, who many believe was not a believer, he said, without Christianity, there can be no freedom. The further away we've gotten away from God, you notice they want to take away freedoms. Now they want to take away the whole Second Amendment. And they, they keep on saying, well, there's not really free speech, and there's not really this, and there's not really that. And that's that freedom has to go. And that freedom has to go. And when do you give up your personal freedom to help everybody else, this communistic thought, instead of saying, listen, because God's a God of self-discipline we, we, and we care about others, that's how we operate and that's how freedom really reigns when the God of the Bible is, is the God that we worship. The, but the more we worship idols and the more our nation goes that way, the more you see individuals ruined, families ruined, and our nation in the worst shape I've ever seen it in my lifetime, worst shape I've ever seen it in my lifetime because we've got leaders and people that are running us further and further away from the things of God instead of drawing us closer. I have my phone with me tonight because I wanted to read you. This prayer is read aloud each day at Mount Vernon. Mount Vernon was George Washington's home. As they lay a public wreath, they do a public wreath laying ceremony every day. And it says, it says." quotes George Washington's prayer. He says, I now make it my earnest prayer that God would have the United States in his holy protection, that he would incline the hearts of the citizens to cultivate a spirit of subordination and obedience to government, to entertain a brotherly affection and love for one another, for their fellow citizens of the United States at large, and particularly for their brethren who have served in the field in the military. And finally, that he would most graciously be pleased to dispose us all to do justice, to love mercy, and to demean ourselves with that charity, humility, and pacific temper of mind, which were the characteristics of the divine author of of our blessed religion. He's talking about Jesus. And without a humble imitation of whose example in these things, we can never hope to uh, to be a happy nation. Without a humble imitation... Of these things, we can never hope to be a happy nation. Our founding fathers knew, without God and the worship of God and God alone, that if we if we started idolizing other things, that our freedoms, our peace, mercy, mercy, and brotherly love is not what it used to be in our nation. Now, what do we do about it? We have to start acting. I said, we have to start acting. We have to start moving. We have to start pursuing God and not idols. And, and if you don't think idols can be in the church, you're sadly mistaken. You're right there in 2 Corinthians 9. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14, uh, God begins to talk about uh, idol worship. Actually, it's, I think it's 1 Corinthians 10. Let me turn over there. 1 Corinthians 10. He begins to say, yeah, it is. He begins to talk about idol worship. I've read this over communion. And he says in verse 14, my cherished friends keep on running afar from idolatry. I know I'm writing to a thoughtful people. Guys, he's writing to the church. He's saying there's people worshiping idols in the church. And we know that because not everybody's serving. Not everybody finds joy in coming to church. Not everybody finds their meaning and security from their relationship with God in the church. Not everybody ties, Not everybody gives. Not everybody's generous. Not everybody's looking for an opportunity to bless others instead of just receiving, taking. I mean, we know that. There's idol worship in there. He's writing to the church. And this is what he says about the church. He says, I'm writing to a thoughtful people, so carefully consider what I say, for when we pray for the blessing of the communion cup, isn't this our co-participation with the blood of Jesus? Another word for that co-participation is sharing. We're sharing in the blood of Jesus. And he says, in the bread that we distribute, isn't this bread of our... Co-participation or sharing with the body of Christ. For although we are many, we become one loaf of bread and one body as we feast together on one loaf. Then he says this. Consider the people of Israel when they fell into idolatry. When they ate the sacrifices offered to the gods, the, the little G-O-D. Weren't they becoming communal participants in what, what was sacrificed? Now I say that idols and sacrifices offered to them have any value. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. However, I am, I am applying that when an unbeliever offers a sacrifice to an idol, it is not offered to the true God, but to a demon. I don't want you to participate with demons. Amen. He said people in the church that are, that are trying to go to church and serve God are still idol worshiping, and they're participating, they're cooperating, they're sharing with demons. Sharing what? Their life with Demons. And God said, don't share. when When you have an idol, you're sharing your life with a demon. And then he goes on to say this. He said in verse 21, you can't drink from the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You can't feast at the table of the Lord and feast at the table of demons. He said, you got to pick one. So if you're if you're if you have an idol and you're still still trying to honor God, but you have all these idols where you get your meaning and security from other than God and your joy from other than your relationship with God, you, he said you you got to pick one or the other. There's no way to cohabitate with demons in the Lord. The Lord won't co- he won't share his life with demons. Even if we're sharing ours. He's writing to the body of Christ. That's why I'm teaching on this. Guys, we cannot idolize anything. Uh, We cannot worship. I keep saying it over and over again. I hope you're not getting weary of it. Finding your security and meaning in other people, other things, titles, money, sex. That's not where we get our meaning or our purpose. We get it from our relationship with God. We get it from a relationship. Not a religion. A relationship. He goes on to talk about, uh, about the, he, he talks about the two tables, and then God goes on to talk about, in some of the other books of the Bible, about the spirit of religion, and about the idol of religion. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. He says, they may, they may pretend to have respect for God, but in reality, they want nothing to do with God's power. Stay away from people like these. For they are the ones who worm their way into the hearts of vulnerable women, spending the night with those who are captured by their lust and steeped in sin. They are always learning, but never discover the revelation and knowledge of truth. You know how many people have told me? I've had, I've had people sit across from me, especially women, say, yeah, I, I'm cheating on my husband and I'm divorcing him, but this guy I'm hooked up with, he's a real Christian. He talks about God all the time. <laughs> have you never heard that? I've heard that many times. Oh, he's a Christian. He's a, I said, he's a Christian? He's, yeah, he's making me a better Christian. I'm like, that is a, I, I really have gotten to the point I say that is a bold-faced lie from the pit of hell. He's not a Christian. He's committing adultery with you. He's not making your life better. He's a demon in human clothes. And he's working you with a spirit of religion. God is warning us about hanging around with people that have a spirit of religion. What is a spirit of religion? It's an attempt to gain God's favor through ritual activities. Not pursuing a relationship with God, but try, but you act right on Sunday, but you don't live right on Monday. It's an act you act on Sunday and then you live like a demon on, on, on Monday through Saturday. Listen, God said, if you have a personal relationship with me, oh, listen to this. He said, if you have a personal relationship with me, the power of that relationship is transformative, it will change your life. How many of you can testify? It's a relationship, it's not a ritual, ritualistic thing. It's a relationship. And through religion, the Bible says, through your traditions, you've made the power of God to no effect. It has no impact. We can't give in to the isms. There's three isms. Ritualism. Traditionalism and legalism. They're all very similar. People think, man, if I go through the rituals of praying, reading my Bible, going to church... Tithing, if I just go through the rituals of tithing and going, if I just do these rituals that somehow I gain favor with God. Prayer, reading your Bible, tithing, is all good stuff. But that that's not that's not a relationship. Those are rituals. Listen, if, if you've gone to church for 40, I know people have gone to church for 40 years. I, I've talked to them. They, they haven't been changed at all. Why? Because they have a religion. They have some ritualisms, rituals they go through, but there's no power to change their life. Man, when you have a relationship with God and you get it, man, he start hanging out with God. You're hanging out with God. You empower His Word and His Spirit, the Triune God, the the Jesus, the Word, the Holy Spirit, and the Father to move on your behalf, and He'll begin to activate. He'll begin to change your thinking. He'll begin to change your heart. He'll change your life, just like He did for me and so many others in this room, from a stingy gut to generous, to someone who couldn't stand people to someone who loves people most of the time. someone who saw the worst in others to someone who can see the best. That's transformative. That's change. The word repentance means change. When you enter into a personal relationship with God, he'll begin to change you because you're hanging out with them. We all know, man, you hang out with someone long enough, you start picking up their characteristics. You just kind of, your mannerisms, your words, your kids... Man, people say, "Yeah, I can tell that's your kid." They say that just like you. They make, they give that look just like you give that look, right? And you hang around with someone that you know. I started hanging around I, I, when I grew up. We always said, "Man, hey, man, you know what's up, man? That's cool, man." Well, then dude came around. Hey, dude, that's cool, dude. And I, I said, "I'm never going to say dude, man. That's just I'm not going to give into this culture." And then I started hanging around with all these people saying dude all the time. And next thing I know, I'm going, hey, dude, what's up, dude? What's going on, dude? <laughs> they just started, and I, I would kick myself. I tried to. I'm too bulllegged to kick myself. But uh, I, I would be like, ugh. But you just start, you start picking up things. And when you start hanging around and you start developing a relationship with God, you just start picking up things. And the thing about God is he has no bad habits. Like other people do. Other people, have bad, I, have, I have some bad habits I passed on to my kids. I wish I'd never passed on to them. One of them was when I try to fix something and I can't figure it out, which is about 99.99% of the time, I get mad at it. And I give it hammer therapy. <laughs> <laughs> and so my kids, when they get frustrated, they get mad like me. And I, can't, I don't like that. Th- this is the difference. Our Father in Heaven has no bad habits. None. So when you hang around with him, when you start speaking the things he says and start talking like him and acting like him, and man, everything, it all flows, something good happens. And you'll lose that religious at all, man. I tell you guys, I can handle a lot of things. I don't like religious people. Jesus did not like religious people. He called them snakes. He called them vipers. He called them all kinds of names. He just pointed out what, the, he said they were whitewashed tombs full of dead man's bones. They look good. They have all the rituals. They wear all the right clothes. They do all this ritualistic, traditional stuff. They do all this religious nonsense. And then they try to act all better than everybody. And on the inside, they're full of the devil. Full of the devil. Man, people that have a real relationship with God, they're real. I mean, just real. They're just real. Because it's real to them, this relationship with God is real to them. And God really does change them. If you haven't been being changed, I really want to encourage you. Lay down your your idol of religion and really start seeking a relationship with God. And he'll he'll just start changing you. He'll change your life. And it'll be, it'll be good. Amen? Let's do that together. Let's lay down our idols and worship God and God alone. Listen, every eye closed. I know I've gone just a few minutes over. Uh, online in here. Uh, man, If I don't care when you're watching this online, live now or later. Man, listen. Judge your own heart. The Bible says he gives us these opportunities he gives us these opportunities to judge our own hearts because he doesn't want us to get judged. He said, judge your own heart, so you will not be judged. So, man, here's your, here's your opportunity to really judge your heart and really begin to say, you know what? I'm getting my meaning and my purpose from this woman, this man, from marriage, from this or that, or this religious thought I have. I see so many Christians in today's culture, they're, they're going back and doing the feast of the Jews and they think that's gaining them favor with God. and they've, they've gone back to Saturday worship and they're doing all this crazy Jewish stuff. And my goodness, guys, listen, those rituals and those traditions aren't gonna do anything for them. Matter of fact, God said it'll make his power to no effect. What power? His power to change you. His power to save you. Man, and look, look at what you get your joy from. Where do you get your meaning, your security? If it's not God, here's a time to judge your own heart and get it right. This is a moment to get it right and to pray. We're going to all pray together. God's not first. We're going to pray together. Some of you have never prayed. You've never prayed to God. My first prayer ever to God was to to give my life to him, to say, you be the Lord. I'll, I'll be the follower. You be the leader. I'll follow you anyway, anywhere, Jesus, because I, I truly believed he died for me. And I owed him a debt that I could not pay back. But I was gonna give him my life. Maybe that's you tonight. you you have been looking for something your whole life, and it's Jesus. It's, it's the love of God. It gives your life meaning and purpose and value. It's the only place you find it. So whether you want to play for the first time or pray for the next time, because maybe you've judged your heart. I mean, you've idolized some things, and it's caused you to pursue other things other than God, and you've seen where that ends up and where that, that always ends ugly. Broken hearts, broken relationships, broken minds, broken bodies, broken hearts. Broken minds. Maybe maybe you want to come back and say, God, I'm going to lay down my idols. I'm going to worship you alone. So whether it's your first time or your next time, online or here, online I'm going to ask you just to message us and say, hey, I'm praying for the first time or praying for the next time. I'm, I'm getting my life right with God. In this room, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand up high and say, I'm going to get my life right with God. Before I leave here, I'm going to get right with God. I want to know him. I want him to know me. I want to go to heaven and man, I want to get my life right. He's the only one that can help me do that. So online, send the message now here in this room, one, two, three, just raise your hand up and put it down quickly and say, "It's me, I'm going to get my life right." Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All over this room, thank you. Wow. Let's pray now, church, right now. Let's all pray together. Those online, pray with us to Say this, say, God, I'm laying down all my idols because I believe I can only find my purpose and meaning from my creator who is you. You are God and God alone. And I believe you love me so much that you sent Jesus to take my place, my punishment on the cross for my sins. I believe it. And I believe he died for me so I could be forgiven. And you raised him from the dead. So I'll be raised up and live in heaven with you forever did all of that to rescue me and because I believe that I submit my life to you Jesus you are the Lord Jesus Christ of my life and I receive your Holy Spirit that teaches me and guides me through your word And I ask you, God, in the name of the Lord Jesus, to forgive me for all my sins, all my idol worship. And I receive your forgiveness. And I thank you now. You teach me meaning. Teach me purpose. In Jesus' name, I ask these things of you. And because you promised them, I receive them right now. I'm saved. I'm right with you. I'm on my way to be changed by our relationship. In Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. Come on, church. Let's celebrate the goodness of God. He's so good. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.